Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. This podcast is being brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marcelet, and today we've got a full house. We've got Clement, John, Ishita, and Nika. Welcome, guys. It's Fuller House, Sean. <laughs> Fuller House? Okay. Uh, Bam. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. Will everyone else get that? I don't know. In my day, it was Full House. Now it's Fuller House. You win it. Age yourself. <laughs> this, way, this way you reach both age demographics. So okay, cool. perfect. <laughs> All right. So today we are talking about, oh, wait. I guess you guys should introduce yourselves, remind our listeners who you are, but I think I will give give a little bit away here. We're going to be talking about activities, hobbies that people might be surprised to find that we enjoy even as blind or partially sighted folks. So maybe when you're introducing yourself, maybe give an example of something that you like that people might be surprised to hear. So one for me is um, I used to be really, really into karaoke and it's probably not surprising maybe that I would like music or like to sing, but obviously in karaoke, you have to be able to read. It's helpful if you can read the words that pop, you know, the ball bounces on the words, I think. Um, and I just had to memorize everything, but I still loved it. So that's kind of one example for me. Hey, it's John here. And uh, one of the hobbies or things I li really like to do is uh, I'm, I'm, I guess you could call it a sports fanatic. And besides, uh, I'm also an athlete, so it's, I kind of like to play the sports, but I also like to watch the sports. So much so that one of my college friends gave me a keychain that just says sports fanatic on it because that's what I was in our group. I have rod cone retinal dystrophy, so it affects the amount of light that I can see and it will affect other things like distance and size. But in general, the brighter it is, the easier it is for me to see most stuff. So the darker it is, the reverse is obviously there. And it also takes a lot longer for my eyes to readjust from light to dark. Awesome. And I'll pass the ball to Clement. I love the sport reference there, sport fanatic. Yep. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a great reference because both of us play the same sport and we play together. So that, that works out well. Uh, I'm Clement and I am totally blind from birth. I have a very rare condition called Nori disease, one of only a handful of cases in the world. So loud and proud about that. And um, something that I enjoy that a lot of people don't really expect um, is martial arts. Uh, I know a lot of people love judo. A lot of people love uh, BJJ. But a lot of people don't expect uh, people who are blind or visually impaired to do something like Aikido or to be interested in things like Kendo or even uh, something as simple as Kung Fu films. So that's my niche hobby that I'm very proud of. What is VJJ? BJJ is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, right. Oh. Okay, cool. Awesome. 
Hi, I'm Nika, and my eye condition is called Peter's Anomaly. So I have partial vision mostly in my left eye. I can see shapes, colors, but have trouble seeing details unless I'm super up close. And I kind of feel like I'm the weird, like, black sheep just in general in my family because I have so many different interests in them, than them. And a lot of my interests kind of are outside of the box that um, a lot of people put me in as a person who's visually impaired. So one of those would be painting. I love painting and it's something that I've gotten into, especially in 2021, where I've had more free time and more time at home and it's something I really enjoy. Hi everyone, my name is Ishita and I have a condition called cone rod dystrophy. So that primarily affects my central field of vision. Um, I can see general shapes and colors, but have issues with seeing finer details. Um, and I guess a couple of hobbies that we will be talking about today that I enjoy myself is gaming um, and watching anime. Maybe not everybody here is familiar with anime, but we're gonna get into that and explain how all of us share some of these hobbies. Okay, before we go down the anime rabbit hole, which I feel Ooh. like it's going to be a deep oh, one, um, <laughs> and I don't know anything about anime, so I hope to learn something. You know the word Pokemon, so you know anime. Oh, <laughs> do I ever. Okay. <laughs> okay, that just tells me a lot. But before we go there, why did you guys want to talk about this on the podcast? I don't mean anime specifically. I kind of feel like I know why, but I, I like talking about anime all the time. So it's not. <laughs> anime was kind of what inspired this podcast episode. That, because that is some... a good point. Mm -hmm, because it's something that the four of us kind of bond over and we've had multiple conversations about it. And then once at our Limitless meeting, we're like, hey, we should make an anime episode just as a joke. But then we're like, oh, but that's going to be too selective. And then we kind of branched it out to, hey, let's make it into a hobbies that we wouldn't expect blind people to do episode. Yeah, because I never would have gone for anime as a topic. So you guys are pretty smart. <laughs> it's that, it's those, sale, those sales pitch skills that we learned. Right? <laughs> blind beginnings. But also, I mean... I guess for me, the reason I liked the idea of the topic was just because I think there are some misconceptions about if you're blind, you probably wouldn't enjoy this or that. So I think this will be a good conversation to kind of open people's eyes a little bit to. So uh, a nod kind of to our um, <clears throat> ableism podcast that we've had going on for the last couple of weeks is that a lot of times people will say, well, I don't know if you I don't know if you'd enjoy this or not. And so they would rather not, um, they would just not invite us to things uh, or, you know, ask us to watch something together. And so for me, I I, I love this topic because uh, I love being unpredictable and I love sharing things that people are like, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know that. Um, and I think hobbies really, especially in our generation, uh, really define part of who you are is what your interests are. And so... I think a lot of people kind of assume that people who are blind or partially sighted all have the same hobbies or <clears throat> that, oh, well, my friend's really good at this, so you must be too because you're both blind. And it's like, well, no, not necessarily. Um, or kind of this idea that, um, sure, maybe you have a range of hobbies like watching TV, but you only like watching certain things. Or uh, maybe you play games, but you only play a certain type of game. So I like to kind of push those boundaries and make them 
a little wider than what's typical. So that's that's why I enjoy talking about these kinds of things. So we've kind of given people some some ideas of some of the interests that we have that might be surprising. Should we just dive into those to start with and then kind of go from there? I feel like you guys are excited to talk about anime. Well, this this might be excited. the longest podcast we ever have. Oh, oh no. <laughs> we're, not, we're not letting that happen. It's not going to be all about anime. Just lots. Okay, so what the heck is anime? Um, so anime is... Um, comes from the Japanese word, or well, comes from the English word uh, for animation. And so anime in Japan literally means anything that's animated. So a cartoon is animated, a Disney show could be animated. Um, but when we say anime in the West, we typically talk about anime that is specifically from Japan um, <clears throat> and some very specific types of anima animated TV show uh, or movie. And there's a whole other conversation that could be had of genres and types and stuff like that. But that's essentially what anime is in a nutshell. Uh, when we say it in English, it's Japanese animated TV shows. So what is your favorite anime then? Or how, oh, does, even, oh. how does one even ask this question? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to let those two talk. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think like one thing that really sparked this conversation and relating to blindness is that we found that a lot of the anime that we watch tend to be action packed and um, have very visual components to it. So like Nika said, Naruto, that's one that I think all of us have watched and are big fans of. And I can briefly explain the premise of it. It's um, set in Japan um, within a village. And the premise is around a young ninja who's 13 years old and um, has a spirit fox demon sealed inside of him. And you kind of uh, grow up, like at least me, I watched it when I was a kid, and the series kind of follows him and his adventures of, um, he started off as an outcast within his uh, village because nobody, uh, everybody, the fox demon that's sealed inside of him actually destroyed his village before he was born. And because of that, people, again, see him as an outcast, but we kind of grow and see him grow and become loved by the village and become the village hero. So that's that's like the really sparks note version of Naruto. It's a very long series. Um, but I think like uh, one thing, like, so there's a lot of fights in Naruto and very visual components to the powers that they use and what's happening within the show. So people tend to ask me when I say that I'm a fan of Naruto, it's like, how do you watch the fight scenes and how do you like gain pleasure from seeing that? So. I think at least uh, Nika and John Kami, you cannot do this too, but like, um, it's just to me, the story and uh, there's a lot of, you know, um, I, and I would also say that Naruto is dubbed into different languages. So you don't only have, it's not only in Japanese, it's in English and a lot of other languages. So um, <laughs> through that and uh, sound effects and everything else, and just being invested in the story, you can enjoy every aspect of the show. And I know that I do. Does it have audio description? No, does okay. not. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that for a really really quick second. Is something <laughs> a lot of people aren't aware of. Well, not consciously anyway. Um, in many anime, fights are actually very well described, but they're not described by audio description. So part of the interesting thing about anime is that a lot of characters will internalize what's going on in the form of dialogue. 
Um, and so when you watch a fight scene, uh, somebody who's either on the sidelines or isn't quite in the middle of the action will sit there and think to themselves and kind of analyze what's going on. And when they do that, that comes out in the form of dialogue. So it actually kind of produces this natural sort of audio description that's baked into the show, which is very interesting because that's not what it's there for. Uh, it's not there as an accessibility tool. Mm -hmm. It just happens to work. That's cool. Very interesting. And alongside with that, depending on which kind of fighting anime, like for Naruto specifically right now, uh, all the attacks and techniques generally have names. And mm -hmm. if you if you watched it before with someone else, they can describe to you what what a fireball looks like. And then every time you hear them say it, it's like, okay, he's firing a fireball. It's not intentional description, but it's like yeah. they can also give so you some the, more things. The two things together, there. yeah, that's kind of the, one of the trademarks, is, right? Is that somebody who's doing a technique has to shout it out really loud. Um, which is super helpful if you can't see it um, and if you know what the technique looks like. So those two things together, um, for me at least, really kind of spark the interest in fight scenes because it's really cool to watch it and see how they kind of write those descriptions into dialogue. Yeah, there's also the sound effects too. Like when, for example, uh, like, you know, Rasengan Resichidori, like they have very distinct sound effects when they're being activated. So even if they don't say what's what they're using, you well, can now, tell. Now it's you have to now you have to describe what those two techniques are. <laughs> oh no! Uh, so there are there are two different moves that two characters in uh, the show use. This is just examples. So Rasengan Naruto himself uses, and it's like um, oh, it's so hard to explain. It's it's a, it's a ball that he throws basically. Yeah, it's like a big it's like a ball of energy. I can say, um, and it's like uh, it has a very like whooshing it's it's like i think it's like based out of wind so it has like a rotating whoosh sound versus um say chidori which is another character sasuke uses it's based in lightning so you hear the sound of lightning crackling when it's being um, oh, okay. activated so that's also another thing that you can tell what the move is and what they're using if they don't say it okay so did you guys get into anime because cited peers were talking about it and you wanted to like how did you how did this become a thing? I An actually interest. have a kind of complicated history with anime because <laughs> I always heard people talk about it. And I've, I would always hear people say like, oh, don't watch the English. You have to watch the Japanese with the subtitles. And that just really threw me off of anime just because I find that really insensitive personally. And then one time at a choir trip I was on, my roommates were watching a sports anime, a volleyball anime called Haiku. Yeah. And I was feeling really, really left out because they were like watching it, laughing about it and stuff. And I'm like, what are you watching? And they're like, oh, we're watching this. And they also told me basically watch Japanese or don't watch at all. But I'm like, at that point, I was so tired of being left out. I'm like, you know what? here's my phone, please find the English version for me and send it to me. Like, I'm going to watch it. And I totally fell in love with that show and wanted to watch more animes from there. You know, what's what's really interesting about that is, and I mean, Nika's right, and I've, I've always been, so I personally prefer Japanese because I speak it, but I've never been a purist in the sense that if you don't, if you want to watch something, you should watch the original because I understand, especially as, that that's an easy statement to make, um, as as a person who can read subtitles uh but if you can't then you don't really have an option 
um, of watching the subtitled version, um, unless you're willing to figure, fiddle around with technology and all these complicated things that really just don't have to be done. So I, th- I think I, I would agree with Nika that it is somewhat of an insensitive statement to make. Um, you know, it's, especially if you're talking to somebody who is blind or visually impaired about watching anime, um, I think it's something to be aware of is that, well, they probably would want to watch the subtitled versions if they could actually read them or find another way to understand. Um, <clears throat> I I have an interesting history with anime, too, is that I, I grew up watching anime. Um, I grew up watching Pokemon, Dragon Ball Z, Yu-Gi-Oh! So I'm, I'm dating, my, I'm kind of aging myself, too, but that's okay. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm not, and there's only, there's one other person who gets it. So anyway, um, I, but I didn't really know about the term anime as a word until my cousins started watching Naruto. So Naruto actually has a very interesting spot for me, too. I love Naruto uh, for a number of reasons. And uh, one of the reasons is disability representation, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, my cousins would watch, uh, of course, Naruto in Japanese. And so part of my early teenage memories was rem- seeing my cousins gathered around one computer uh, on a Saturday afternoon watching Naruto um, in Japanese. And that was really, yeah, it was it was hard for me because, you know, like, like Nika said, she, you know, I was watching it and people were laughing and people were going, ooh, that's cool. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I don't even know what they're saying other than, you know, the one out of a hundred words that, you know, someone says. And so I got into anime because I got tired of hearing my cousins, my school friends talk about it. And so I decided that I wanted to find out what this whole shebang was about. So I also started watching Naruto in English. Promptly gave up because, and again, this is my preference is coming out. I wasn't a fan because I heard it in Japanese first. So um, that was how I got into anime was through not kind of the same way as Nika, through just watching people around me talk about it and wanting to find out for myself what this whole thing was about. So when I was younger, so I have an older brother and he was a big fan of Naruto and Dragon Ball Z and Yu-Gi-Oh! So he gets a comment. Um, And I would kind of just sit there and watch with him because I had nothing else better to do. I was like five. Um, So I just thought it was really interesting. I remember um, one of the first ones that I think I watched was Inuyasha as well. Like I just kind of thought it was very interesting. And uh, for context, Inuyasha is a show that is based in the feudal Japan era. It's kind of a mix between setting in feudal Japan and modern day Japan. Um, Inuyasha is a half dog demon, a half human, half dog demon. And um, Kagome, who is the other heroine in the story, um, she travels through time uh, to Inuyasha's time through a well, like a magical well. So that's, again, people are probably like, what is this show? Uh, It's very interesting. It's a very uh, old show. And Fun fact, the dub is actually, I believe, made in Vancouver. So that was also a really cool thing to learn as well. Um, But I think like, so watching, seeing him watch it, I kind of was just curious about it. I'm like, oh, this is, this is cool. Um, He actually had some of the Naruto games and we'll get into this when we talk about gaming. But um, I thought the story was very cool. And I thought, again, all the characters looked really cool. So I wanted to give it a try. So watched the original series of Naruto. And then I think when I was about uh, 13, I got into the 
later series of it and started kind of loving anime from there on my own and exploring different shows. Um, like uh, Nika said, Haikyuu, very, very awesome show. So that's kind of how I got into it and have loved it ever since. Like I remember when Pokemon first came out, I remember watching that first episode. I was like a four-year-old and five-year-old and I was just, uh, I don't know, I, I also obviously didn't know it was from Japan. I, just, I was watching cartoons as a kid and, and at school everyone was talking about Pokemon. I collected the cards and we did the battles. And as, they, as the, and so they were all pretty much on the same channel, either Friday night or Saturday morning, you'd be watching them. Everything that was on, you'd just sit there and watch them. And then everyone would talk about them the next day. YTV, baby. Woo! Yeah, YTV. Shout out to the past. But um, also, part of it is because like, some of the shows are based off of games and things. Like Yu-Gi-Oh! is based on a card game. And in the, the middle age of uh, elementary school, everyone was getting them. And you'd be sitting out there playing each other. We'd have massive eight-player duels going on in the playground. We're not running around. We're playing cards. That's what we're doing. And as I got older into high school, it's like I figured out that was from Japan. And I started watching things that weren't on TV, you have to go online to find them. But I also remember waiting for the next episode. Every Friday night, it would be me, my three siblings, and sometimes my mom would be there too. And we'd all be watching Inuyasha together, telling our mom to be quiet because she kept yelling at everything scary that was on the screen. <laughs> okay, I'm only I'm asking one more po- um, anime question <laughs> because I feel like this will turn into an anime podcast if I don't. I told you. I mean, you mentioned disability representation. Talk about that. In Naruto specifically, there—I mean, there's there's a lot of anime that I mean, I I, I don't watch as much as Isidore and John, so they can probably give more concrete examples. But for me, Naruto has always been special because of the fact that Naruto. Uh, well, Ishida already gave a synopsis of what it's about, but essentially, the premise of this whole thing, why Naruto is rejected, is because everybody knows that there's something wrong with him except him. Um, he he always believed that this was just some that you know that he doesn't understand why everybody rejects him for being di- he doesn't understand why he's different he's a bit of a troublemaker and a rabble rouser when he's younger because he does stuff to get people's attention because otherwise everybody just kind of ignores him or uh something that he always comments about uh again in that internalized dialogue is how whenever everybody looks at him there's a look that he gets that no one else gets and so he doesn't know why um, and so his whole idea is, the whole idea of Naruto is him trying to uh, overcome this mark, this flaw that makes him different than everybody else, and to prove himself and uh, kind of show people that he can do more than be just an outcast that's defined by this spirit that lives in him that doesn't even show up a lot until later um and that's all and you know him struggling to make friends no one really likes him because one he causes trouble but because of his checkered past and because he literally has a mark that makes him different than everybody else in the village and that is a real to me at least is a really good metaphor for how disabled people are viewed uh in western society too but definitely much more overtly in Eastern cultures, which this comes much closer to, I think. It's interesting as I'm hearing descriptions of characters and it seems like there's a lot of diversity in anime, like a lot of, you know, you're describing half dog, half something else, half, 
and and then superpowers and i i wonder if it's kind of i don't know like i is is it implying that you know we're all different but we're all unique and and in a positive way kind of I think in in a Western culture, that's how that's what we would read into it. I don't think uh, Japanese creators think of it like that necessarily. I think a lot of them write them because it's fantasy, and so what you know, what fantastical things can you write up that's entertaining for people to read uh, or watch? Yeah, that's no different than superhero comics. I mean, and like in North America, it's like about Spider Man, Captain America, Superman. Those are all superpowers. Yeah. And in Japan, and, like you pretty much have, they're the same idea, just in a different. And you can style. you can read diversity into superheroes as well. So that's that's a really interesting conversation all on itself about whether people think of it that way. Um, and I think we would. I think if you read a lot of websites or forums that talk about anime uh, from like a Western, like Canadian American perspective, uh, you'll get messages like that. But not so much in Japan, where it's purely entertainment and there's no real social commentary but that's that's one thing i've always loved about naruto is it's disability representation and yeah like sean said there you know every anime has some kind of weird set apart character or group of characters that kind of has to overcome certain things uh to be accepted and acknowledged by everyone else Mm -hmm. And I think there is a lot of kind of like how as us, as people with disabilities, we learn to do things differently. There is some of that in Naruto. Yeah, and you'll see see it a lot. Yeah, like one person, like his name is Rock Lee. He's not able to do like magical powers. He doesn't have superpowers, but then he compensates with that using like martial arts, which is called taijutsu in the show. So he doesn't have magical powers, but then he's able to make up for it with being super physically strong. Mm-hmm. Like through hard work, like immense hard work, he trains and like, yeah, it's like in a world where you quite literally survive through, um, you know, having ninja powers, he doesn't, but that didn't stop him from again, wanting to pursue his dream. So I think that also plays into in a world where things aren't accessible to us all the time and we have to often make it accessible to us, that shouldn't stop us from pursuing something that we want to do, even though it's not inherently meant for us. Yeah, and just to bring it to a quick more of a contrast to something that, that doesn't involve magic, any any sport anime like Haikyuu, which Nika talking about volleyball anime, has a lot of this similar stuff. Like the main character in Haikyuu in volleyball, the, the main character, he's five foot three playing boys high school volleyball and just for fun when i was at my high school i i looked at the where the marker was for how high the the high school boys volleyball height line is for the top of the net and it's like just standing i can't touch it like i have to jump and i'm like five nine and i can get there but the fact that this guy's five three and he can get over that height is an example of like little it's a little the little guy getting overcoming things and there's a lot of that in sport anime where it's either like an underdog story or there's something about a certain player that brings their spirit into it that there's like, I don't care how small I am or that I'm not that good at this. I'll learn how to be better at that. That's cool. And, you know, that's just something that doesn't involve magic at the very least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're kind of selling me. You might like swimming anime. Free? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's move on. Let's talk gaming because I feel like that's another big one. I have very minimal experience with gaming myself. I like Sean rock has lo- band. Sean has lo- I was going to say, Sean has lots of experience with rock band. 
Oh, not lots, <laughs> but a little bit. Is that even a thing anymore? So <laughs> people still have people. They're still releasing songs for it. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And I also like the we. I like being able to like. I can I can do pretty well at bowling on the Wii better than I can in real life I bowling. Say, I can't so. I can't bowl in real life so no me too I'm terrible but on the Wii I get a pretty good score so I, I like that kind of video games but I have a feeling that's not what you guys are talking about <laughs> I mean kind of a little bit uh I could jump into it but funny enough I actually went bowling once for like a friend's birthday party and I was terrible and I'm like but I was so good in the Wii sports version what happened <laughs> yeah I was getting so many strikes so yeah that was that was a realization moment kind of telling you that I play too many video games but anyways <laughs> so um yeah I think like the conversation of video games is that a lot of the times people don't think we can play them. Um, and I will mention that there are video games specifically created for the blind and visually impaired. Um, and those are great, but I, I would say they're like their own. And we're not really talking about those today. We're talking about just typical games made for the mass of people. Um, so at least for me, I play primarily fighting games. So that is like hand-to-hand -hand combat, uh, Mortal Kombat style, but not that graphic, <laughs> but uh, that's kind of the style that I play. And how I play it is generally through patterns and um, vibrating, like having vibrations on the controller. So, um, I, you know, when you are essentially fighting someone and you're playing, there's, there's a certain like um, pattern of certain buttons equal certain moves. So memorizing that is very helpful and generally not too hard. You know, certain combinations equal to certain move sets. Um, once you get those down, um, actually, once you have the vibrating controller on, um, and I've done it without and it works quite as well because a lot of sometimes there's, again, sounds associated with when you're getting hit versus when you're hitting someone when you can distinguish between the two. Um, but with the vibrating controller, you can tell when someone is attacking you and you can feel it. And then, you know, oh, I need to block or, oh, I need to step away or whatever you need to do to get out of that situation. So it's like a matter of um, learning the patterns, um, kind of uh, understanding where you are through against certain means. And each game is different while you're playing it. But that's kind of the way of how I play um, fighting games. And. Uh, I think there's, I mean, there's a bunch of other games that I know a lot of other people play. Um, rhythm games is one of them as well. I think, Clement, do you want to talk about that a bit? Um, rhythm games are, yeah, so we already mentioned Rock Band. Um, Which, for so those who don't know, is. It, well, Rhythm, so Rock Band is a, uh, some people call it a video game, some people call it a band simulator. Uh, and I, I like both terms equally because what Rock Band is essentially is a group of people, three or four, usually with drum or guitar style controllers that play according to uh, notes that flash on the screen that kind of fall from the top of the screen towards the bottom and they hit a line. And before they hit the line, uh, you have to hit the note with correct timing based on the song, which are usually uh, real songs that have been produced from like, and they're, they can be classic rock, country, uh, pop metal any any style really um but they are actual songs it's not just kind of short <coughs> segments and there's other games like uh taiko master which is w for all the, all the all the weebs in this chat myself included because i like that game i just haven't played it yet and um a few other ones but rhythm games essentially dance, are that dance revolution dance dance revolution is like the original rhythm game which is unplayable sadly because there's no audio cue as to what to do yeah. but just to um, quickly describe that it 
that that was the first game that I played that came with the the controller was an actual mat on yes, the ground. Yes, it was a mat that had direction. sensors that you had to stomp on. I remember that ticked off our uh, tenants downstairs <laughs> because cousins would be over and we'd just be stomping the heck out of the thing. But rhythm games are fun if you're visually impaired because they are music based, uh, and some of them are either, in, in Rock Band's case, are based on kind of real musical theory, which means if you know music, uh, you can kind of figure out the notes, although it requires you to kind of play the song a few times before memorizing it. So like with karaoke that Sean mentioned earlier, uh, we can't just kind of pick any song we like. We have to memorize certain ones and then play mm -hmm. those. But um, other games like Rhythm Heaven uh, for, the, for the Switch or DS... Um, and an, an older one called Space Channel 5 is, are, they do have audible cues. So Rhythm Heaven has different characters that have their own kind of unique cues that you have to match with the stylus. Uh, Space Channel 5 is primarily direction-based, so they give you a set of cues. It's kind of like playing a game of Simon. Rhythm games and fighting games are the two kind of primary genres that, you know, people play. But there's, there's, also, there's other genres as well that are starting to see more accessibility uh, being kind of not built into them, but being uh, baked into the original design of the game, such as uh, the biggest one lately is The Last of Us 2 that came out last year. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of games have these accidental design quirks that aren't really there for accessibility, similar to the audio description thing in anime, but they work. Some fighting games have different sounds for different types of attacks, whether it's a high one or a low one, unique sounds for certain techniques, like we talked about for anime as well, and a game like, uh, there's one called 13 Sentinels, which I've been obsessing over the last year, which is a sci-fi kind of time travel game. But the, the thing that sets it apart is that certain things that are internalized by the characters are, again, voiced as dialogue, uh, which means you can actually browse through the thoughts and hear them being read out loud. Uh, so it's kind of like a screen reader by accident. So, you know, rhythm games are popular, uh, fighting games, and kind of any other games that we find that we can play with little or no vision. Would it be helpful if some video games had audio description? Well, helpful. That could work. I, I think it could. It could definitely make it more immersive when they're describing cutscenes and story segments and stuff like that. But it would be hard to keep up a running commentary as you're running around a map. Uh, shooting you know, each other. Shooting each other or trying to describe the whole map. But mm -hmm. for certainly for story scenes and like longer cutscenes, uh, they would be fantastic. It would be fantastic if it was there. Yeah, and there's a, a slight contrast to someone who has partial sight. Besides those um, fighting and rhythm games, I've also played um, shooter games with friends that you when you play in a, in arenas and you you have like you're either on teams or you're playing like free for all for on four and we I always make sure that depending on which kind of game it is like we there are certain settings that make sure think that you're slightly more visible like the name tag above you above a character will appear if you're if they end up in your sight line and you can actually turn that off but it gives me something to target. And then sometimes we pick smaller arenas where we're not wandering around forever trying to find each other. 
or we put in the we put in all the vehicles so it's like oh someone's driving the tank all right just shoot at that because it's not me in the tank i'm standing over here yeah <laughs> um and i've gone i've gone around taking killing uh, plenty of my friends uh in the funniest ways possible it's actually been very entertaining yeah and and lately with with uh, a lot of games that are kind of merging you know native controller play and like web interfaces um there are starting to become more kind of party games, like social games that are more playable now, such as the Jackbox Party Pack line of games, which are all uh, accessed through a website. So when you you start the game on your console or PC and everyone connects and plays uh, through a website, which serves as the controller for the game. So those are um, becoming steadily more and more accessible as well because with the website, of course, we have screen reading technology that's already there. Um, so it really comes down to the nature of the game and whether that game itself is playable or not. And quite a few of them are. Like there's a game called uh, Dictionarium, which I is I, I, I love it because I'm a word freak. And I think Sean would appreciate it as well. Is where you get a random word that doesn't actually mean anything uh, and then you have to, everybody has to create a definition for it and start using it in mm. examples. Okay. Um, and that's, of course, all very easy to do because it's all typing. Right. Um, so the only kind of commentary and sound you get is from the game, which is being hosted by somebody. Uh, ideally, if it wasn't a pandemic, well, or even now, it would be around a group of people around a TV uh, where you can see the screen and everybody's typing on their phones. Okay, so in the I think there are games now where you can you have a headset and you can talk to your friend while you're playing, right? Yeah. So if you're doing a game like that, could your friend fill in the blanks for you yes. of the visual stuff? Yeah. So your friend can give you instructions and like Ishita and I've done this quite a, quite a few times, and I think John probably has too. Is where we've played games that don't actually lend themselves to being played by a blind person on their own. But if you have somebody else who's equally obsessed uh, or is willing to play through it with you and you know, and kind of do certain parts, uh, then it's very doable. So yeah, wanna... there, there are some shooter games where you have cooperative modes, you're playing two player and my brother, yeah. my younger brother and I would just go through and it's like, okay, I'm good. It's like, if we're running around trying to figure out where we're going, I'm gonna, I can follow his character on the yeah. screen. And then yeah. if we're getting to a fight, I'm just going to be in front shooting at whatever I see while he stands behind shooting at all the stuff I don't see. Yeah. Right. Um, and cool. for, for other games that don't have co-op modes, like single-player games, like uh, ga games like Persona uh, or the Yakuza series, uh, the Yakuza one is my, my example because I had a student who was here for a while who loved a game and... Uh, she didn't know anything about this series and I introduced her to this game and she fell in love with it. So what we ended up doing was we played through one of the games together where she would run around, read all the dialogue cause it was in Japanese anyway. Um, uh, that all well, the dialogue that wasn't voiced that is. And then I would take care of all the fights or we would rotate between who fought uh, when. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of options as, as blind people to game and I, th I think the for me that that example with my student it also helped a lot because as somebody who'd never met a blind person I think it was uh, and you know she, she she would say I think too that it was eye-opening because she'd never thought that playing a video game with a blind person was something she would ever do it, it's something that kind of opens more dialogue for us to be able to tell people this is what we need 
It's not too much. It's not as much as you think it is, and you get to have fun doing it. So, uh, I I think that kind of video game, especially whether it's co-op mode or whether it's a single-player game and just two people sitting together and playing it. Um, I and even if lot. you play sports sports games, like you can play FIFA, like the soccer game, you can play with multiple players. Yeah. And have more direction. If you play the NHL, the hockey game, the basketball games, the football game, they're they're some of those are they're not they don't have some of them don't have as many cues, but there's some parts of them that can be uh, adaptable. For sure. In that same regard, with with um, having different uh, multiple people playing at the same time. For sure. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. I think my husband and my son are starting to play video games together, but I feel like it's Star Wars and I don't think I'm going to be a part of that. And none of you mentioned that. (laughs) There's a Star Wars fighting game. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what console you're using. We can can figure this out later. (laughs) It's okay. I'm not that interested. It could be their thing. I was going to say, Sean, you'd have to get Sean interested in Star Wars first before you. Mm. Yeah. I have watched (laughs) all the movies now, but. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So, sports. Um, I feel like, I mean, there's so many sports that you can participate in if you're blind and some of those might be surprising. And actually we have plans with, with the, with the Olympics and the Paralympics happening this year, we're going to do an episode on blind sports, but, um, let's talk about spectating. So if you're blind, do you want to go to a game? Do you do you watch sports on TV? Is that something that you enjoy? So Ironically enough, I didn't actually used to like watching sports. It's all Brendan's fault. But um, so the the primary one for me is I'm um, watching hockey, and I was never really interested before because I didn't have any friends that were really that into it. But once I started, once I started watching um, Canada play with that, I just started getting into hockey. And what I realized is the commentators are actually really good at describing things, um, like. Even just even on the from even the the difference between the TV commentating and the radio commentators, but especially for just for the hockey alone, they're very good at describing what they're doing, and because they're excited too, because they're most of the people are fans that the, um, uh, of the sport. That's why you're that's why you're commentating. That's why your job is that. So they mm-hmm. get excited, and the, when they do the replays, they describe as much as they can what happened. Because even when you watch it live. The, the people watching it there are sometimes things happen so fast you're like i don't know what just happened so the commentators will really describe it and to me the main difference between watching it on tv or listening on the radio as opposed to actually being in the arena is mainly just the the feel and the energy of the of the building because one of the first times i actually went to watch a canucks game when the game went into overtime i knew which direction our team was going i couldn't obviously i could barely see the people i can't see the puck but just because the play was moving up and they were going on the attack. Everyone just started standing up, and you could feel the electricity in the building. And as soon as they scored, I didn't even need to—I didn't need to know the score, how they scored. Everyone just started cheering. I even—I didn't see it happen, but I felt it, mm-hmm. and I just started screaming too. And it's like, so yeah, there are parts of that that are exciting. I totally agree. I'm not—I'm not really a fan of watching sports, but going to a game live is like an experience, which I would—I still enjoy doing. And you don't. I don't necessarily understand all the rules. I don't know what's happening most of the time. And when you're there in person, you're not getting the commentary unless you're listening to the radio at the same time. So you're kind of even more 
out of like what's actually happening, but the energy in the room, you can hear the, Oh, or the who, and you know, people's reactions, you can easily follow whether it's going well or not for your team. (laughs) I agree. And my brother went to multiple NHL games and when the 2010 Olympics were in Vancouver, he got to go to some games and I was never offered that courtesy. I don't really know if maybe my parents thought I wouldn't be into like a guy sports if it was being a woman thing or if it was a disability thing that they thought I wouldn't be able to tell what was happening. But I just was never um, offered to be taken to any games like my brother was until grade 12, where my school choir basically had an opportunity to perform at a Canucks game um, during like a halftime show or something. And we got free tickets because we would be performing and I went and it was just so cool. Um, It was really a sensorial experience just because I love like the chanting, like when things are going well or when they're about to like shoot a score like say go Canucks go like chanting Mm -hmm. so much fun Uh, my friend who I was sitting beside did describe what was happening during the game and just kind of the other experiences like just being able to like chill like get food like eat donuts while watching a game sitting in the arena I think was such a great experience when I went to the last I remember what year it was it was before COVID obviously Um, when I went to the Canucks game then um, obviously I was very excited. I hadn't been in a long time. So I went with my brother and, um, it was really great. Like you said, the atmosphere is completely different than watching it, um, on the TV, but, uh, and I don't know if other arenas do this, but I do know that Rogers arenas does provide you with, uh, a headset and it's just on one ear. So it's not that distracting that connects you to the radio that gives you live commentary. Really? Yeah. yeah. So you did, you did have to ask for it in advance and it was a little bit glitchy. It was something that they were just trying out at the time. Um, and I don't know mm-hmm. if they're giving it now, of course, because of, you know, COVID and they may not want to yeah. share it. And once things open up, it might be a thing that was there, but it is provided in case, uh, and it was meant for people who are blind and visually impaired. So I, don't, I thought that was really cool that they were implementing <sighs> that and it worked very well. It wasn't that distracting. Like you still felt like you were in the arena because, you know, you could hear everything. It was just on the one ear, Mm -hmm. Um, but you still got the commentary and you got what was happening. And it was, Mm -hmm. it was a really great thing that I was really grateful that they did. That's so cool. I had no idea. Yeah. I hope they're continuing it. I just got to say, but um, if that's something that can definitely be implemented in all arenas and all sports, that would be amazing. Cause it's, it's like a, another added element to it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the cool thing because the hockey the commentary you get is basically it's the live stream from either the TV or the radio. One mm-hmm. radio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should check that the next time I'm in some of the U S arenas for sure. But I was also going to say part of that spectator spot, even if like the being in the arena is one thing, then when we do it, when you're like at home watching on the TV, you get the whole spectator thing and you get the replays. But if you're the best part of that is when you're with friends and you're sitting there and you're, it's, you're almost, you're pretty much like, it's like you're at the arena. Just, you have your own, you, know, you didn't pay, you have your own private thing, but you still get that experience and uh, you get to hang out with your friends and talk about the games. If you're cheering for opposite teams and it makes it even more like you're really at the game because you're cheering for other people, you're arguing with each other. And then depending <laughs> on what sport you're watching, like if you're watching a fighting sport like boxing or the UFC ultimate fighting champions, you get a little bit there. The description is obviously there, but uh, for some of the, for those sports, they're pretty good at describing like what's going on. Like if you're watching the, the mixed martial arts, fights they're they they really they tell you what the what the other person's like they're, they tell you all their stats their height their weight 
their style, um, their preferred. Um, if you know what the moves are, like since I did wrestling in high school, I knew the names of these moves, some of the moves. So if I can see some of them, I would, um, I could picture that and stuff like that. And so much, uh, it, part of it, it connects you with other people too. Like when we were at the training camp for global for the national team, we, on one of our nights off, we just sat there and watched um, some of the UFC fights. And it was just because like some people wanted to watch and it just gives something relaxing to do and mm. talk about that's completely different from what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's, that's the thing about sports as well, right? A lot of people think about blind people in sports in terms of, uh, participating in sports, but what people don't realize, I think, is spectating is equally as enriching, um, and equally as uh, able to break down barriers as participating in sports together. So, yeah. even if you don't do a sport, if you watch a sport with sighted people, or you know, if someone with a disability watches sports with able-bodied people who can talk about it and they can just laugh and not, you know, because they have this common interest there is something to that and breaking down a lot of the barriers that we tend to find. Mm -hmm. uh, and so one, one thing now, now that John's talked about UFCs, uh, which is a great segue. I, I love this is because I think as, as a blind person who is into martial arts and sports, one thing that I found interesting is that some of the sports that blind people participate in aren't really the most fun to spectate as a blind person. Uh, and one example of this is judo. I would love to do judo. Uh, I, I intend to once the pandemic is over, I would intend to try it. Um, but watching judo as a blind person is actually quite boring. Uh, <laughs> there's not, there's not, and not, 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 I'm not saying that to slam judo. I'm saying that because there's not a lot of sound mm -hmm. in judo. Um, unless you're right beside the ring and you can hear people moving on the mats. If you're sitting up in a booth or up in the stands, uh, especially at a crowded competition like the, at, like the Paralympics would normally be, um, people will be cheering and cra clapping and screaming and stuff like that. And so it's it's really not that interesting to watch. Great to participate in, not so much for spectating. And yet, there, it's the same thing with the opposite. There are sports and martial arts that are super fun to spectate as a blind person that might not necessarily be the most practical for us to do. Uh, and my personal example of this is kendo. I love kendo. I've always wanted to do it. Kendo, for those who don't know, is... Uh, the Japanese equivalent to fencing with bamboo swords. But basically, I've always wanted to do kendo, and I've never been able to do it because teachers have never been accommodating uh, or willing to... Like, n I haven't found that magical person who's willing to try yet. Um, I've had people say, well, I want to try, but I'm not sure, and I'm skeptical, and I can't get past my skepticism. So the, the, ch the contrary to that is kendo is very audibly... Uh, enriching so like nika said it's a very sensorial experience because bamboo is and if anybody's ever uh touched bamboo or smacked two pieces of bamboo together bamboo is very very loud um and quite apart from bamboo uh players uh, uh fighters will scream at each other they will stomp when they attack they, there's all sorts of uh, the, the referees will call out which target is being hit uh when the point is given Stuff like that. And so it's actually very, very fun to spectate. Um, both, I, I love watching kendo online right now uh, because I haven't been able to go into any tournaments. But when you go watch tournaments, it's also equally as fun because you get to sit in the, on, on, a, you know, on the risers and watch people fight right in front of you, which is, and you get to hear all of that. And it's, it's a very, I, you know, it, it's definitely very audible 
in the experience. So that's that's an interesting thing with unexpected sports is that just because we can participate in a sport doesn't mean we can spectate it with as much enjoyment and the opposite is true as well. So that's that's an interesting that's always been the interesting angle to me um, as a blind person and watching sports. So another another part of spectating sports is not just the actual act of spectating the sport itself. It's like like the part of the reason you want to you cheer for your team is like you are invested in the people that are on those teams because like if you are like me and you watch some kids get drafted when they're 18, you watch them slowly develop their way into the league and try and make it the team. And it's like eight years down the road, you you literally watch this kid grow up. He's 18 now. He's like 28. And like you're invested, but then like you know all the stats, you know what they've been through if you watch them through their younger days. And then they're they're fan they're people like they're fans all over the world when they watch their preferred sport. Like you you know so much about this person that you will you've never met and you may never meet. And you you it, it gets you into discussions and arguments with fans from all over the world. It's like, oh, this guy's better because of this, this guy's better because of that. And then there's also the the sports fantasy leagues which for people who don't know what that is, it's just like you get to, you, someone will set it up and you pick your team and you get points depending on what those people do in real life. And then you just do it like a, like a league thing, like a sport. So everyone has their players. You got to set them up every week. And at the end you get to the tournament round and you got to watch every day to see if your players got points and stuff. And then it's like, that's another version of the sport that you're doing when you're watching the sport and you're also, you're, you're also interacting in a way. And I know a lot of other blind people who played the fantasy, who are in a bunch of fantasy leagues, and I've done a couple of them myself. And there's like, they're really some of them are really simple, some of them are super complicated with so much extra rules, and you got to follow all these things. So it's yeah, it's not just the act of actually watching the sport itself. There's so many more things behind it. That and can, then when you when you when you kind of know all of that, you can connect socially with people even outside, you know, like at school or wherever, and you're at work, or, you know, yeah. you're co-workers like did you watch the game and you have something to say about yeah. it right exactly. yeah you have conversation starters and stuff and it's like and even though you've never met these people like if someone like something happens to them in their life because they're because of the nature of their business and because they're public people they're like you see their social media it's like oh this has happened it's like if someone gets hurt, if they get hurt in a game and everyone feels for them and you're like super excited if someone gets traded from your favorite team you or you, you lose a player that you really loved or you got rid of a player you really didn't like you have all these emotions that are attached to it, which some people I know it's like, why do you, why do you like this so much? It's like, I've invested time. And it's like, I, I feel, you feel like, you know, these people, you know, the people with athletic persona, you don't know them as actual people, mm-hmm. but you, you still have all this, all this stuff that's tied down to them. That's why people are so, so aggressive when they're um, with their sports fanaticism. If you start bad mouthing other people or their teams or players, people will vehemently defend them. Yes, it, it's, a, it's a hilarious, especially the East and West in certain sports. You're like, oh, you you guys don't that's... even stay up past that. How do you know what our guys are like? I feel I feel like that's I feel like that's the East and West in a lot of things, not just sports. But you know. It's... <laughs> <laughs> so, I wanted to get this in. It's kind of we've kind of moved along, but even if we aren't sports fans, we still want to be invited to the Super Bowl party, yeah. the Grey Cup party, the. <laughs> I'll sit through the game because there's the social aspect. There's usually good snacks. It's just food is the best part of sport. (laughs) I'd rather be included, even if it's not my thing, than not invited because everybody thinks, "Oh, you're blind. You can't see the game. You probably wouldn't like this." 
portion. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah, like there's like there's a whole cheering for things. There's like if you're if you're that person who has no idea, it's like I'm just going to cheer for this team because you're all cheering for that team. That's going to mess with all of you. We're at a party. <laughs> well, I just cheer for my city or my province or my country. Like that's easy. I don't. <laughs> yeah, but I guess I guess there's also an interesting point to that when. Like because of all these different leagues in the world, everyone has their city teams. And then when it comes to something like the Olympics or the World Cup, everyone jumps on their country, even if you've never ever watched that sport. Yeah. Like before the before Vancouver, I'd never watched curling, but I'm cheering for Canada all the way. Well, actually, I don't usually watch any kind of sports all any time except during the Olympics and the Paralympics. <laughs> and when the Olympics is on, I'm like constantly watching. So Okay. We could talk all day, it seems. And I know that there's probably lots of other hobbies and activities, but we do need to wrap this up. So maybe we can just, is there, do you have any more you want to throw out there that you wanted to mention today? We're not going to like talk about them necessarily, but just things that you really love that are maybe not what people would expect. Well, we actually do have an episode on this. So if you are more interested in hearing about it, you can check it out. But I love dance. And that's something that people wanted, wouldn't expect a blind person to be able to do. Staying on like the artistic route, um, Nika mentioned painting um, before at the beginning. Um, and I think similar to that is for me, coloring. Um, and it's not like uh, coloring in the sense of like physically coloring. I do e-coloring like through an app and mm. um, actually, you know, I'm able to zoom in and like do it through that way. So it makes it a lot more accessible for me because um, I can't paint to save my life at all. <laughs> but what it's done on, um, you know, an iPad or on like a device like that, I can actually, um, you know, blend colors and do it that way and make something very pretty through that. So that's another hobby that I think people don't expect me to have. The other, I guess this other hobby is like, along with games, I love playing board games. Yes. And especially mm -hmm. in college, we board start, awesome. um, we had this own little group of friends. Like we would just, if we was in, if there was a new board game we wanted to try, we'd all pitch in some money. And we'd have this group college ownership of it and we'd bring it to the school and we'd play the games. And no matter like, cause, uh, there's only, there's so many games that I can't like, we, we, I can't read them. Like we actually aim for games that don't have too many cards or extra rules. But yeah, so when we find those kind of games, where it's like, my friends are really accommodating about, okay, this is there, this is there. And it's like, we, we played so many different games, like, like Settlers of Catan, um, Risk. That's always a hilarious one that causes uh, serious warfare and usually table flipping. Um, <laughs> an ironic game called Pandemic, which is actually a team-based game. So I don't have to, I'm not fighting anybody for it. And like, even just regular card games also are things that we, um, me and my friends love to do. And like we've, I've got a, sh I've got a drawer full of new board games that we've Big been playing. Big two, so, baby. Yeah. Oh yeah. Those which, we need to bring, which we need to bring back. Oh yeah. Yeah. I agree with you, John. I love board games yeah. and I, I mean, I play with my son too. So I've, we've played connect four and Sean, trouble. Sean's not, Sean's not a very competitive person. <laughs> um, and I, I can just like, I've stuck stickers on the one color for connect four so that I know those ones are mine, you yeah. know, like you can modify a game, yeah. some games you can modify pretty easily. Yeah. And then some yeah. games are like, I'm a big Scrabble fan, um, but I have braille Scrabble, so it's print and yeah. braille so I can play with sighted friends, but that's definitely. Yeah. So the, my, my friend even, they've even searched for games that they know like, Oh, we, John can play this with us. It's like, we have a, there's one game where it's like, I literally don't have to do anything because 
Um, it's like it's it's like a travel kind of game. It's like you just move. Like, do you want to move to this one, this one, or this one? You move there, you pick up the card, and you just. Right. Dude, it's like there's no there's no necessary yeah. hiding things and even if there are we have like ideas it's like we're either hiding this for everyone and one of us is gonna have to whisper the entire time or we just flip it all up and everyone can see it mm. yeah and, so that yeah. That's, that's one that's the thing that really this this whole conversation i think boils down to is that as so to, to young people who are listening uh go with the hobbies that you like uh it doesn't matter if someone says oh you're blind it'll be hard or uh you you know you're blind so you might you're not going to have a lot of fun with this if you think you'll have fun with it go for it and once you find a group of people who are willing to do engage in that same hobby with you um you, th that will open all sorts of barrier breaker conversations that you just wouldn't have anywhere else um and i i, I would encourage parents who are listening to do, do the same thing. If your child has a hobby that they want to get into and if they have friends who are willing to engage in that hobby, whether that's board games or video games or sports or martial arts or any of the other things that we've talked about, uh, encourage them to try it. And, you know, and rather than... Because sometimes they will find ways to do it that you just wouldn't ever think of or reasons to do it that you just never think of, like spectating. So they might not be able to do the sport, uh, but like with kendo, if it's a, if it's an experience they enjoy watching or attending games or matches with, then all power to them because there are things that like this 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 will spark conversations that do have a much wider effect than just having something more to talk about. Awesome. Well, thanks, you guys. I learned so much today. I, You have opened my world to anime and video games and made it sound actually intriguing. So, okay, so we're going to have a, we're gonna have a Blind Beginnings anime and video games day. Oh, we're going to tell Sean to, everything she once we're allowed to, to get Once we're allowed to gather again. And we're gonna, <laughs> awesome. Well, we're thank you. We're going to have stations around the office. Thank you so much for being here, you guys. This was a great conversation. Uh, thanks for Thank having you. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Share our podcast with a friend, subscribe, and please join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca and also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time.